Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. God, thank you. Um, Thank you for your word. And I do pray that as we look to it, that your Holy Spirit is in our hearts. That you help us see, you help us learn. And God, as we hear your word, that we, we would be led to worship you. It's in your name we pray those things. Amen. Again, Ephesians 5, 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The musical Hamilton tells the story of one of the founding fathers of our country, Alexander Hamilton, in a really unique and imaginative way. I don't know if you've seen it. It's available on Disney+. Plus. This is not an advertisement for that musical, but like, I'm not being paid by Disney+, Plus, um, is what I'm saying. But it's available, and, and we've watched it, and we love it. And we've, my kids have really enjoyed watching that musical, and, uh, and they really like the songs. And I don't know if you've been exposed to little kids who really like songs and how often they listen to those songs, but a lot of those songs have been played on repeat so much in our house. I'm looking at my daughters up in the balcony there, but they've they've been played so much on repeat in our house that I have to say it's really time to play something different. But one of my favorite kind of comedic characters in the musical is King George who pops up at various times to give his take or his his input on what's happening in the new world, on the American Revolution, on on what's going on in the colonies so far away. And he does so in really a funny way. And every time he pops on stage, you know that you're in for a few laughs. Uh, I will not be singing this, but I did want to share with you a few of his words that are both said in a funny way, but also true in a dark way. And in these words, he talks about his, his subjects, as in those folks that are in this new world. Here's what he says. He says, and no, don't change the subject, because you're my favorite subject, my sweet, submissive subject my loyal royal subject, forever and ever and ever and ever. And in another verse he says, he tells them as they are trying to separate from him, as we, is we the right word there? You'll be back like before. I will fight the fight and win the war for your love, for your praise. And I'll love you till my dying days. When you're gone, I'll go mad, so don't throw away this thing we had. Because when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. And that is funny, but also dark. Because in these verses, we see a king who wants to keep his power. We see a king who wants to keep his subjects in this new world. And oftentimes, when we hear that that phrase that is our scripture for today, to be subject to another, this is what we think of. There's someone in their power, using their power in, over others who are not in power, who are the subjects. And as we can hear in this funny phrase from the king, these subjects 
do not really matter to him. If they die, they die. There is no care here about the people that are involved. It is a care for the power and the control that he has over the others. And throughout history, we've seen this. Rulers or kings would do whatever it took to keep their subjects under their control. And it's often done through violent means or whatever means necessary to keep the power. Again, empires throughout history, the story is told over and over again. The story of how they got their power or how they keep their power is usually the same. The dictionary says being subject means that we owe obedience or allegiance to the power or dominion of another. The Greek word here means to listen or to obey another, to place yourself under them, to let them lead you. And in this passage, what Paul says is that we are to be subject to one another. It might make you squirm a little bit in your seat, it might make you uncomfortable, and that's okay, because not only in in the history of the world have people taken advantage of this or the following statements in this passage, but also people in the church's history has, have done it too. They've used this passage in oppressive ways to lord over um, others in a ways that are not sanctioned by God or the biblical witness. It also might make you a little uncomfortable because being subject to another is not really a thing that we as people generally like to do. It's not natural. I mean, maybe it's natural for like little, little kids until about two, but you and I know that when a kid hits a certain age, that listening to their parents is, is not their favorite thing to do. And some kids listen reasonably well, but I do remember this throughout cousins and family and children, that when a kid hits two, you look at your little adorable little child in the eyes, and you ask them to do something, and they look you back, and they say, no. And at that moment, you're like, oh. I have a friend that tells a story about his daughter who has a rock and is tapping a window, and he looks at her, and he asks her, please stop tapping the window. And she stops, and she looks at him, and then continues tapping the window while staring him down. And that's funny to us, but as adults, it's the same. We don't like to be subject to another person. We have a preferred way of doing things, or having things, and because we live in a society where so many of those preferences are met, when someone else is doing the choosing for us or trying to lead us, often we don't like it. Because for all of us, all of the time, what's most important is us. Me. I. There's a reason the command by Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself. It's because Jesus knows that all of us love ourselves the most. We put ourselves first. We want what we like. We don't want to be subject to anyone. So what's going on here is Paul asks us, be subject to one another. And I think to understand that, we've got to take a step back and look at Ephesians. So if you'd bear with me, we're going to do a little Ephesians bird's eye view habit trail um, to kind of look at what Paul is doing in this book to understand the, the, his message here. The book of Ephesians is a brilliantly dense letter. 
many of Paul's letters, he is writing for specific purposes at, in specific contexts to specific people. This letter, Paul is writing to the churches of Ephesus in the region of Turkey there, modern-day Turkey, and, and he's just, there, there isn't really a specific thing he's addressing, but he is addressing kind of the broad and deep uh, activity of God through history and in their community and in our community. So he encourages them in who God is. He encourages them what God has done through Jesus Christ and how the work of Christ has changed them and enabled them as a community to act towards one another. So in Ephesians 2, 1 and early in the letter, Paul is reminding the people of Ephesus who they were. He tells them in 2, 1, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. So if you've been around this community for a while, recently we preached through the early stories of Genesis, which kind of talks about the the. The, the beginning origin stories of the Bible, the people of Israel, our community, we see early in the book of Genesis the problem of sin, how it starts with Adam and Eve and moves, out, and moves outward like a ripple effect and affects all of us. That's why we come before God every week and confess our sins. Also, the community in Ephesus is made up of Jews and Gentiles, and Paul specifically addresses the Gentiles as well which I would assume includes most of us in this room. Gentile means someone of the nations, someone who is not Jewish. 2.12, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Both of those passages tell the people of Ephesus who they were, and following those verses, Paul tells them, well, that's who you were, but now this is who you are. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I just love how he says that. We were dead through our trespasses. Now we are alive in Christ Jesus, created for good works. We are what he has made us. We are a new creation. We are a new community. That's what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. We have heard who the Gentiles were. Then he addresses who they are now. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. 
What Paul says is you are two sets of people, the people of Israel and the people that make up the nations, everyone else. But through Christ, we are now one set of people. No dividing wall, no more hostility. And this is groundbreaking stuff. People that are part of the Christian community are one people. The dividing walls are gone. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, nor male nor, nor female, nor slave nor free, for you are one in Christ Jesus. See, no matter what your background, no matter where you're from in the world, no matter where you're from in this country or in the world, we are part of one community, a new people of God made up of all the nations who once were one way but are now a different way because of Jesus Christ. We are new. We are changed. And that's exactly Paul's point in Ephesians. You are a new people, so this is how you're supposed to live. And as he moves through the rest of Ephesians, that's what he does. He explains to this new community who have been created, who have once were dead and are now alive, how should you live life? And he explains that we are each a part of the body of Christ. That each of us has a specific role to play. Being subject to one another means that we should listen to each other. That we should serve each other. That we should lead each other in this new life, but also that we should allow another to lead us. You see, in the new community of God, being subject isn't a thing that is brought about through violence or brought about by someone exercising control or someone oppressing to get obedience from another. Being subject is this model of behavior of the biblical community where we love and follow each other. It is us willingly placing ourselves under another out of love. It is us being willing to sacrifice what we want. It is us giving our lives for others that are part of this community and outside of this community. And there are moments where this is pretty simple. We listen to another's leadership. We place our preferences aside for the betterment of the community. There are times when this is more difficult, where it takes time, effort, resources on behalf of another. There are moments where this is just chatting with someone. But in all of these moments, it is a movement away from me or I, and a movement towards and on behalf of another. Martin Buber wrote a book called I and Thou, and in it he explores our relationships with each other. I don't have any quotes from that book, but I did find his general ideas helpful when thinking about this. The first is in our relationships with each other, how do we see the other person? Are they someone or something transactional? Are they a means to an end? Are they there to provide something to or for us? He cleverly talks about this if we see people in this way, that that relationship is an I-it relationship. The it is a thing, a thing there for our benefit, for our use, for our needs. And then he says, but when we are in a real relationship with another, they are not an it, they are a you. So it's I 
in you. Another person who is created in the image of God. Even saying I, he, or I, she, or a third party somewhere, that's over there. And it's easy to judge or, or gossip or talk about them as they were this other thing that does not matter. But when the relationship is I and you, that person is another person who is a member of the community of God. That person is loved by Jesus. That person is worthy of our time, of our attention, of our care. Just as we are worthy of their time and attention and care. And as we say I and you, we stand in relation with one another. And Paul goes on to talk about how this looks in households as we go on past this passage, which some is confusing in our modern context and happy to talk to whoever about that. But I've appreciated the way this has worked out for Becca and I as, as we live life together. There are times where she leads and I follow. There are times where I lead and she follows. There are even times where we let our kids lead and we follow them. It's definitely not perfect, and I could share a lot of stories about when that doesn't work out that way because, you know, we are a community that is still dealing with sin and, and all of those things, and so it, it, it is tough at times. But doing your best and being willing to listen and follow does make me grateful. Paul shows us what living in this new community is like, how we should treat each other, a lens by which we should see our lives. Sometimes leading, sometimes following, but living life as new creations of God. And we are not asked to do this without having an example set before us. We are a new creation enabled to live in this way, enabled to look at another person as a created image of God. We can do those things because of what Christ has done for us. It is only because he subjected himself to us, that sin and death have no authority over us any longer. Jesus Christ emptied himself. And Philippians 2 paints a picture of this. That passage was used by the early church as a hymn, as a thing that they shared often with one another, as a way to grasp what and who Jesus Christ was. And so I'm going to bear with me, I'm going to read a long passage from Philippians 2, but it's really applicable to what Paul means, and I think Paul has this in mind as he asks us to be subject to one another because he adds that last phrase, out of reverence for Christ. So I, I think he's thinking about this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus was God, part of the Trinity, over and above all things. Through him all things were created. He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. There's no lower descent than from God to humanity. He who had no end, he who is all-powerful, does not use that power by violent means. Instead, he uses his power to become a person, to put on sinful flesh in order to deal with sin and death for us. Jesus subjects himself to humanity. He subjects himself to the evil of this world that he and his power might absorb evil and death, that all the sin that we let into this world could be dealt with once and for all, that we might be made into a new humanity, that we might live in a new community. Jesus Christ has been exalted over all things, all things. All of creation is subject to him. And unlike other rulers or kings, his kingship comes from his willingness to sacrifice himself. Christ is not Jesus' last name or a name that is just assigned to Jesus randomly. That word means king. It means Messiah. It means the one who is over and above all things. His willingness to take the long, Jesus Christ's willingness to take the long road from divinity to humanity to death, to exaltations. That is a king. He is our king, and ultimately, he is the one to whom all of us are subject. And we are each loved loved and cared for by him. This king loves his subjects dearly. This king gives himself on behalf of those who are subject to him. We are renewed by his spirit, brought from death to life by his sacrifice. And as we live lives subject to one another, we live our life subject to King Jesus. And that is good news. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are the example of a true king for us. Thank you for your sacrifice and your willingness to come to us, to bear our sin, to give yourself that we might be made new uh, into a new humanity that can love and serve each other and live in relationship together and with you. It's in your name we pray all of these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.